is David Dean Cooley, and today we are going to discuss the 3% tax on all tarried British imports. Joining me are my co-host, Terry Gross. Oh, hi, hi. How are you? And... Shit, I can't think of anybody else from NPR. <laughs> and Dave! I was, Dave. Gonna, I was gonna get so loud. <laughs> Hi, everybody. My name is Ed, and you are listening to the Age of Enfrightenment podcast. I'm here with my esteemed co-host, Nick. Hey, everyone. And the aforementioned Dave. Hey, guys. And we have a really cool episode for you today. This is something that I think when we originally had the idea to do the podcast, this is one of the first things that came to mind. Uh, that would be worth covering. So today we are going to talk about creepypasta. Yes. Uh, and actually, I would note that you're right. It's definitely one of the first things that came to mind. And I think it's fitting because this is our 10th episode. Oh, shit. I didn't even realize. Yeah. <laughs> I, I double checked that. Whereas we do have an episode zero, so I suppose it's their 11th episode. <laughs> you realize that means that if somebody listens to our podcast once a year, we have 10 years worth of content. You're not wrong. Yeah. And for all those people that are going to listen to it like once and then never listen to it again, we have like a lifetime of content nine episodes ago. <laughs> so you're welcome, everybody. <laughs> so let's just let's dive right in. So what the hell is creepypasta? Like pasta, oh, but like so scary. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, so creepypasta is a term um, that is used for an Internet story. It derives from the term copypasta, which sounds like copy and paste, and that's what it's based on. Basically, the idea that in the early internet, one of the few things that you could do was take something that someone else wrote, copy it, and send it to somebody else and say, hey, isn't this neat? It didn't take long for that to take on a very scary life of its own, so people would put stories out there, either just say that it's true for themselves or there just wouldn't be a credited writer. And we've mentioned on the podcast before that in the early days of the internet, it was very easy to just kind of take things at face value. So that's where a lot of the early creepypastas kind of grew from. Now, a lot of it comes from people sort of suspending their disbelief intentionally because when things go up on Reddit or you know other places on the web, they just kind of say, well, it's going to be more fun if I believe that this could be true. We're going to talk about a few different examples that propose a certain place or they allude to it or a certain time frame and they kind of allow people to fall down a rabbit hole and think about did this really happen was this true let me go on forums ask people what they know about it it's a very different kind of storytelling than just simply reading a book or watching tv or things like that uh, and it did something kind of cool because just like when when the Blair witch came out and everyone walked around for a while uh thinking it was real I'm not going to lie, like the first, when this first came out, there were a bunch of stories that I read and and just assumed they were true. Absolutely. I'm like embarrassed to admit it now because it's such a widely known thing, but like I totally read like the cave monster story yeah. and was like, we have to stay away from that cave. Yeah, there are two examples specifically that we're going to talk about today that whereas I didn't go into, I, I was always a skeptic, so I didn't go into them thinking this is true, but I definitely thought people are going to think this is true because of the way that it's that it's laid out. It's clearly the intention. And I was reading comments on some of the stories that we're going to talk about today, this morning, and there are still people, like, time-stamped from this year that are saying, oh, I don't know, man, I call bullshit. And the fact that they feel like they need <laughs> to <laughs> tells me that they kind of believe it a little bit. Well, one of the really cool things about this is that these are short stories, like, in a lot of cases, maybe just like a paragraph or two. And it's overwhelmingly, like especially in the early days, it's not coming from, you know, Stephen King or, you know, um, Dean Koontz. It's not established horror writers. These are amateur writers. And in a lot of cases, you don't know who wrote them. It's just something that gets circulated. So that gives it a bit of credence too because it's not something somebody's doing for money. It, there, there's no there's no profit to it. It's just a story that's being circulated. Right. So it has this campfire story element yeah. to it that's really, really just unnerving. Right. And as they build, and campfire is exactly right, because as they build, they're becoming more and more things of, 
my friend told me about this cool thing. Even when we've turned each other onto some of these stories or, or friends of ours have told us about it, it's usually not in the forms of, oh, there's this really cool writer that you gotta check out. It's, I heard of this thing. And it's all, you almost don't describe it like a story. It's usually, it's usually just Google Marble Hornets. Yeah. And that's all somebody gives you. And then you look it up and then 20 minutes later you get a text from your friend. They're saying, what the fuck? <laughs> because people don't refer to them like stories. They're experiences no. uh, of a sort that, that happen online. So before we go any further, I'm actually going to read one. This is one that I really dig. It's a really old one. Again, no real credible source or author. So just to give you an idea of what this is, if you've never really stumbled down this rabbit hole. So here we go. There was a hunter in the woods who, after a long day hunting, was in the middle of an immense forest. It was getting dark, and having lost his bearings, he decided to head in one direction until he was clear of the increasingly oppressive foliage. After what seems like hours, he came across a cabin in a small clearing. Realizing how dark it had grown, he decided to see if he could stay there for the night. He approached and found the door ajar. Nobody was inside. The hunter flopped down on the single bed, deciding to explain himself to the owner in the morning. As he looked around the inside of the cabin, he was surprised to see the wall adorned by several portraits, all painted in incredible detail. Without exception, they all appeared to be staring down at him, their features twisted into looks of hatred and malice. Staring back, he grew increasingly uncomfortable. Making a concerted effort to ignore the hateful faces, he turned to face the wall and, exhausted, fell into a restless sleep. The next morning, the hunter awoke. He turned, blinking in unexpected sunlight. Looking up, he discovered that the cabin had no portraits, only windows. Well, And that's it. Yeah, that's the whole thing, which is, uh, you kind of alluded to, uh, a lot of these are very uh, short. What's cool about that is, is it's got the creepy positive thing. It's very short. It's very open-ended, which is, I don't know if that's become an unspoken rule, but I know yeah. basically all of the ones that we're going to talk about today don't have an ending. There's, they, they basically leave you wanting more, which I think is part of that dig deeper thing. People feel like, well, what happened to that person? So that's a perfect example of, it's just, you know, you get the, the idea of, of what happened in that cabin, but there's no resolution. There's no name of this man. We don't know why he's there. And they're just really, they're like quintessential horror. It's just, let's take the coolest thing about any horror story and strip back all the nonsense. Oh yeah, that makes it so much more fun because you're going to be able to do a lot more with your imagination than if it was just spelled out for you. That's yeah. what I like about a lot of these. Well, it's like uh, the video version of Creepypasta. I mean, you see a lot of short films that people make on YouTube and I think about Lights Out, which I didn't see the full... The, <laughs> I did. Did you watch? I know, yeah, you, did, you yeah. weren't crazy about it. Right? I, didn't, yeah. I didn't see it. It just looked, uh, I don't know, it didn't look good. And it, the, the, it didn't look good, and I think it kills exactly what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, the reason. Is, yeah, that was a creepypasta yeah. video, whereas I it, it was chilling. And if people have seen it, I'm not going to spoil what happens, oh, yeah. but just Google The original video is out. goddamn horrifying. Yeah, it's what, two minutes long? Yeah. Tops? And it just gets to the core of a primal fear that people have when they're even when they're in their own homes. And then they kind of killed it and said, let's make it into a movie. Oh, yeah. I, I went under the assumption of like, oh, I love this thing. What could be better than more of this thing? Right. And it just like took all of the fun and mystery out of it and kind of drove a couple of plot holes through the original video. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was... It was a real bummer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that kind of sucks. So getting into, I, I think, uh, thanks, Theo, for sharing that one, because I think that's a good intro into the mood of Creepypastas. To, we're going to basically spend this episode talking about a few individuals, but not just telling you what the stories are, telling you about why they're significant, and they're going to sort of build in cultural impact, I think, to a degree. Uh, but I want to start with one that I think is a good segue from our last episode, which was our horror and new media episode. We spoke a lot about video games, myths about them that have built. And Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about the story that we're going to start with, which has a video game connection? Yeah, so this is a relatively well-known creepypasta called Ben Drowns. And I'm not going to uh, tell the entire eight-page story. But basically, a young man is looking for a copy of Majora's Mask, which is Zelda's game. Zelda game. That sounded really old for a moment. <laughs> it's one of those Zelda's it's games. Zelda's. It's I went over to Zelda's house and I asked her to borrow it. 
And he finds an old man at a yard sale who sells him a very beat up copy of Majora's Mask that just has the word Majora's written <laughs> across it in Sharpie. And that was N64, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. No, this so, was, so it's a cartridge. Yeah, and this yeah. was that awesome time where, like, Mist couldn't be debunked right away and new tech and everything. He takes it home and fires it up, and there is a f- save file already on it, uh, someone named Ben. And the long and the short of it is he basically starts getting haunted through the game. Ben is the previous owner. It's a kid who died from drowning, I believe it was. Apparently, the kid begins coming through his computer and, like, all of his digital devices, uh, and he unsolves this big rambling mystery about how Ben died and what happened and everything. And he actually went in and, like, doctored video of Zelda's Majora Mask, Majora's Mask, and it's terrifying. <laughs> like, and I mean, Majora's Mask is already like a really creepy game, anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, for a, a franchise that's known for being really like kind of like lighthearted and colorful, Majora's Mask is very down. But it's a kind of a downer. Like the main theme of the game is death, hmm. and um, it's just really creepy to begin with, and deals with a lot of like emotional it has a lot of emotional weight to it it's all about like dealing with grief and dealing with death and stuff like that and just really kind of unsettling to begin with so it gives you the perfect platform for basing a scary story around because it's already believable you know if this was a creepy version of like yoshi cookies i don't think anybody would be as oh i never told you guys about my haunted uh cartridge of of yoshi cookies (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, you're right, and I, it also has something that we talked about the time period that came out, that it was an N64. It also has something that I think is common to a lot of horror stories, which is outdated technology. Mm-hmm. It, it's mm-hmm. a good way to set up, uh, if, if people have seen the movie It Follows, it kind of happens in a very nebulous time where it could be 2016, it could be 1986, People have phones, but they don't work the same way. They It kind of removes the interconnectedness that we have. And I feel like the cartridge, that just the choice of game, I feel like plays into that too. You have movies like VHS. Just something about having this sense of it, it's not on a disc. It, it's, he didn't go and on the internet and find it. It's It has that feeling of like, well, of course, it's a, it's a solid object, yeah. so it can be imbued with a spirit or Use something. Use of like an archaic technology. Yeah, it, like, ju- it just... Even even though it's not archaic, because it's a few years ago, but like still, it <laughs> it's an yeah. old technology by young people's standards. Yeah, so that's the kind of thing we're talking about. It's, it's these little kind of flash-in-the-pan stories that, like Dave said, it's an eight-page story, but you we can get the idea across pretty quickly. And even if you just tell that somebody, I mean, it sounds like a campfire story. It, it oh, hits yeah. you. It hits you right away. So I think we're going to get into some more of these. Uh, Theo, do you have any one in particular you want that you want to kick things off with? Hell yeah, I do. Okay. So let's let's just go right for the big one, the Dianea house. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that might take a while. So that, yeah. that's probably a good idea. <laughs> Drap in everybody. All right. So why don't, why don't you set that up for us? All right. So this is something that... You know, just like Nick was talking about how this stuff spreads, this is something my friends Carl and I discovered this online one day and we just within like an hour or two of just falling down this rabbit hole, I'm texting all of my friends who I know are interested in this kind of stuff. And it was just like Nick said, it's like, yo, you got to check out yeah. this this thing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was exactly I think you sent it to me and just said read Diana House. Yeah, uh, I don't think you I was, given, same thing I was given any too. other setup. Yeah. It was yeah. just that. And it's perfect. It was a perfect uh, creepypasta landing page because you get there. It's a terrible, like, HTML site that is just like a tiny little window inside of your frame. And it's just it's just text almost. And it's basically a correspondence between these two guys. Oh, yeah. Because when you I feel like especially the early days of this, it almost felt akin to like finding something in the woods right. like, like finding a scrap a, of paper yeah, yeah exactly it felt really cool and simple something about the very earnest look of it made it feel real yeah this is a story that is solely unique to the internet this is something that could not function in any other media no, it really couldn't um it's the story that it starts as a series of um, emails between these two guys 
And from there, it you just – when I say – I keep using this phrase, but you fall down the rabbit hole. That's what happens. Like yeah. you start on this really crappy – um, like site that's just these um, emails and from there it leads you to like a live journal account yeah. and it's really like this almost like scavenger hunt across the internet as you're piecing together the bits of this story. Yeah, it's like a love letter to the way that we communicate but turning it into the darkest possible arena that they could put it in. Yeah. It's, it's like, hey, this is the new way that people share stories and they really go across everything. There's a live journal there are two blogs. There's an AIM conversation. All of these things basically have a different voice. They're all different characters, more or less, in the story. Yeah. And we get to see how people would actually share horrific stories with each other across every kind of, uh, at the time, every every venue for communication on online. And the setup is this correspondence between these two guys uh, named Mark and Eric who were friends when they were teenagers. And I believe it's Mark contacts Eric because yeah. another one of their friends, uh, this guy named Andrew, uh, had recently gone into a diner and killed a bunch of people. Yeah, it and was a double murder suicide. Yeah. yeah. And they start talking about one of the last times that they had seen Andrew. And they were together, all their friends were together, and Andrew was talking about how he was house-sitting for this property that his father owned, and it was this really creepy house, and he didn't want to stay there by himself, but he couldn't convince any of his friends to stay with him, and so he stays in the house for a couple of days, and they see him again, and he's just completely just changed. They say yeah. he's almost like this weird, like, blank canvas, and the only way he communicates is repeating things that people say or repeating like commercials yeah, or he comes in he's he does like commercials and then when they tell him to knock it off it's almost like they it, it the way he describes it it sounds like they're changing the channel on him yeah. because he's telling he's like he's word for word reciting a commercial and then when they're like knock it off dude you're freaking us out he starts saying lines exact lines of dialogue to a tv show and then when they do it again he changes to something else and they just and uh mark describes it it, it was as if something had hollowed him out and he tried to fill the empty space with content from from television. So it's, it's pretty pretty spooky, but I, oh. I will say the one thing that kicks it off right away, and I didn't really pick up on this until I, ha I had my researcher hat on thinking about creepypasta in general. It's very almost heavy-handed in the beginning, basically telling you this is a creepypasta because... In Eric's first message, he's sharing Mark's emails with with Mark's friends and family, specifically his girlfriend and other people. And he says, please sh uh, copy and paste. He says like explicitly, copy and paste from here and share this so that we can get as many people as we can to help get the mystery across. So you're reading it thinking that you're if you're believing this, oh, I, I need to share this on my Facebook. I need to help find out what happened yeah. to Andrew. It's it's pretty crazy that <laughs> it's a perfectly work. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is a perfectly formed somebody set out to say, I'm gonna make like the quintessential creepypasta and share it with everyone. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really cool story. <laughs> and something that we were discussing uh, before the show started, the the guy who wrote it, um what was his name? Eric Heiserer. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah, he he wrote uh, well, like any creepypasta. I think it just existed for a while on its own because it, it, that's what's I think a little different about this one than some of the other ones we're going to talk about is we know who the author of the whole thing is because he's yeah. come out and admitted to it, and he even uh, sold the rights at one point or tried to sell the rights for movie, and it was never made. It kind of faltered in production a bit and he actually went on to write horror stories so this is someone that has turned an internet phenomenon into a lucrative career he wrote the remakes to nightmare on elm street the remake to uh to the, the, thing. the thing and and most notably and this blew my mind when i went on his imdb page was he wrote the screenplay for arrival which was a massive like critically acclaimed hit uh, just yeah, a, so a year awesome. or two ago. Yeah, that, so, movie, that movie is incredible. If yeah, you haven't seen it, that, do yourself a favor and check it out. It really all spurs from this guy writing, just having this idea about creating a few web pages and convincing people that it's this real, true, true life yeah. story. Yeah, and I remember um, like years ago when it like kind of like came out that like this thing had like an actual 
author and wasn't like legit. Like there was a couple of people who were mad about it. Like you're you're a fraud. You know, you, you're, you're <laughs> tricking people. And it was kind of just like, well, no shit moment. Where it's like, well, it's it's a story. It's right. I wasn't making money off of this. I was just telling a story. Right. Nobody was defrauded by this. And and that's so that like hurts my heart as a creative person because he brought something into the world. Like that doesn't take away from the fact that you enjoyed it when you first read it, when it first happened. I think there are some of these creepypastas where, yeah, we hope they stay buried forever and they're always a mystery, but it was just, Diane House is just such a well-crafted story. I kind of appreciate that I get to know who wrote it and that he can get credit for that to yeah. a degree. You know, I don't want to make an analogy that's a little too overblown but for someone that really believes it, it would be like God showing up and being like, it was all fake. <laughs> it's like people who are really looking for something to believe yeah. in and got really entangled in it and like invested their own time into right. researching it, telling people about it right. to suddenly have then someone come out and be like, it's all fake. I yeah. made it. And now I sleep on a bed of money. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I like, of course, it's. It's fake, but like I can totally see why people would get perturbed about that. I, yeah. yeah, but I mean, it's not like he was like, "There's a house that eats people, and I'll send me a check." Oh yeah, it's it's even that still even beyond that. It's just good that there's not a house that eats people. <laughs> <laughs> that's the real positive to take away from this. Yes. Oh yeah, that's that's another thing. Uh, the reason it's called what it is, the Dianea house, because the uh, the Dianea it's a kind of plant like similar to the Venus flytrap. It, it is the Venus flytrap. Oh, yeah. okay. the Dianea muscipula. Is, okay. is the Venus flytrap, yeah. And it's interesting because they do eventually call that out specifically in the story. Uh, Mark relates it. He said he was watching a nature documentary about the Venus flytrap, and it, it made him think of the house. I feel like even if he hadn't made that illusion, it still would have been a very effective name because with the way creepypastas work, people want to know more. So it wouldn't have taken long at all for somebody to be like, oh my God, I just found out what Dianea means. Yeah. And then it builds a life of its own and saying, oh my God, the house is a Venus flytrap. It lures people in and it brings them back. And that uh, in, in true creepypasta fashion kind of ends with a bit of a cliffhanger where Mark is missing and Eric, you, you're almost proud of him at the end because Eric is kind of like, fuck you, I'm not sharing this. Like, he, he's not going to pursue it. But then eventually Eric put out a, uh, what was it? He eventually did like the other blog where it was mm -hmm. like, here's the, the bonus material. And then you realize, oh, no, it got him. So yeah. you feel for him because you're like, oh, he's like the hero at the end of the horror movie who says, I'm not going to go into the spooky house. I'm not going to pick up the phone from inside the house, all that bullshit. But he doesn't. He like comes back and he's like, all right, guys, this is too important not for me to look into. So I'm going to go look for Mark, and then like it. And now we now Eric yeah. is missing. Yeah. So yeah. so you get that 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 idea that this house is just luring people. It doesn't matter how smart you are. Like yeah. and and us as the reader, it could happen to us too if we decided to buy plane tickets and go yeah. to Houston, where it's or or Idaho, the two places where it takes place, and look for the Dianea house. We'd mm. be fucked. <laughs> yeah, and that's what's so cool about it is like it's not so much like a haunted house story. It's that the house is like a living entity and has like intelligence and agency. Yeah, yeah and it's smart. In the first, I think in the second email, Mark says uh, he at the end. It's it's very playful in the beginning. It's very like I just want to find out what happened with our friend. It's not like super like stoic and and scary. But he says at the end of his second email, something else is eating at me. I can't figure it out yet. <laughs> and it's just that like little that little nod. It's so What's good. cool is I actually found the house and it's in here today to chat with us. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. I'm glad I can tell my side of the story. <laughs> yeah, but there's also there's some like horror themes that you see a lot. Like the house is bigger on the inside. Um, yeah. It's described as a one-story house, and then when he goes inside, he starts describing the second floor, and he's like, "There's so many rooms," and it's such a perfect horror story that if they, even if they made the exact story into a movie, like Eric was trying to do, it wouldn't have the same impact as as this, uh, as the the form that it came to us in. Oh yeah, is there any possibility that this came out before the book House of Leaves? No, this, this could was, have been an influence. This was no. after House of it was Leaves. After. So, it, so if it anything, could have been I'm going to say of that. right. If anything, yeah. I'm right. going to say Diane House was inspired by House of yeah, Leaves. Yeah, and I've uh, yeah, I've seen a few things that described it as as sort of a Stephen King story meets House of Leaves kind ah, of that's wrapped cool. into that. Um, I like that. 
And it's it's definitely, it draws from a lot of horror. It's not the most original thing in the world in that sense, but the delivery system, especially I think the first post was in 2004. So at that time, it was still kind of early for these. Oh, yeah, and you yeah. feel like a sleuth when you're going through it because oh, yeah. you're going through all of these different all these different pages and everything that all look different. Right. Like you, you can tell if you really start to look that some of the writing is similar, like oh, across yeah. all the pages, across like, the different voices. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. but like, like you feel like you're you're putting pieces together, which oh, is a it's really rewarding. It's like a video game. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a cool way to pull someone into a story. Yeah. Yeah, and another thing is that, you know, like you said, it came out in 2004. One of the things we talked about in the last episode uh, about horror and new media is how the internet now, as opposed to the internet then, is a much different thing. The internet is much more omnipresent. And in 2004, uh, the common person didn't really know about creepypasta. That's not that wasn't re- really right. like a word in the public lexicon. It is now, and once we get into a little bit later, we'll discuss why it yeah. is. <laughs> but uh, that it was still new and fresh. So it wasn't like you know you find this like creepy story online now. You're like, oh, it's just a creepypasta, right? So and you know you'll take it from there. Back then, it was just like it was like an anomaly. It was just like yeah. this like it was monolithic. Yeah, if like, you had brought up to someone oh i read creepypasta a lot people would say is that a comic book is that a book they would assume it's some kind of form that they're familiar with yeah it was it really took uh a pretty major event to out one of the biggest creepypastas that we'll talk about to get uh, people our parents age to ever even hear the word yeah. uh, and even still i i still think it's kind of niche i i don't think there's a lot of people that we could stop oh, yeah. on the street that no would know. My, my parents wouldn't know what creepypasta right. is i don't think mine would either yeah yeah so i i think that's probably more than enough about the diana house it is such a cool story you have to read it if you haven't yeah, yeah well really we'll we, i know we always say we will but <laughs> we will link <laughs> Yeah. All of this crap on our side because all, all of this is too fun to not. They blank. need to, yeah, they need to be dived into. And even some of the shorter ones, it's good to look at them yourself and read them because they're just gonna, it's, it's viral. It's just gonna make you susceptible to catching all of the other ones. You're gonna read one and you're gonna wanna keep going. So it's definitely the, that's the way that you're gonna wanna go. Read these and then just dive in further. Oh, yeah. So, uh, piggybacking off Dianea House, there's another series that I really dig, and I know I sent you guys the link for it, but I don't think you've read it yet. We no, don't, not yet. We don't value your opinion. <laughs> so. Well, that's okay. I neither have you do, blocked in my phone. Neither do my parents. <laughs> um, but it's called Smile, and it's by this guy named Nick McCool, and he posted this on Reddit a while back. And like all good creepypasta, I was told about this by a friend. Um, our friend Tim told me about it at a party one night and it's a series. It's 26 parts because it's the alphabet. Oh, okay. Uh, and, 26 then. Yeah. And well, hold on. <laughs> That's debatable. <laughs> Which alphabet are we using here? Um, and each letter is a short story and you start to find that all the stories are interconnecting and without giving too much away, it's a story of this town that's filled with twins and um, there's just like an overabundance of people with twins and this scary stuff is happening and it's about a man that comes into town who has this really terrifying smile and is just very charismatic and very, very just creepy. And um, my buddy Tim sold me on this because he knows I'm a big Stephen King fan and he described this guy as being like one of Stephen King's recurring characters, Randall Flagg. And it's very clear that he's influenced by Flag, but it's still a really great story. And it's just a great example of how these, how creepypastas are, without the internet, this kind of storytelling wouldn't be possible. So, so they didn't come out all at once. They kind of came in installments on right. like Reddit or, or something like that. Right. The so. non-binge model. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. Basically how we used to consume content. <laughs> oh, that's so revolutionary. <laughs> yeah, so he would release, um, release them all at once. So like the first one was A. It was A for Alzheimer's. And then after that, it was B. So B was break-in. And each story... They're interconnected, but they're also interchangeable. So you don't have to read it the exact, right. you know, from A to Z. You can kind of put them together and mix and match. 
and it is really just genuinely unnerving. And what's cool about it is that you can buy a physical copy of it now. It's available on Amazon. Really? Wow. Yeah. And I, I actually didn't know that until I was researching it again for this episode, and I'm going to pick up a copy of it. And yeah. I just think it's awesome now. So like Diane House, how the author of that is now you know becoming like a big deal in Hollywood. It's so cool to see these authors starting to get some, you know, um, traction. Yeah, exactly. Some traction, like yeah, really taking monetary off. traction. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, that's fast too, considering that that always takes time. Yeah. Like it took it when, when music started, it took a long time for the artists themselves to see any benefit from that. I mean, producers would and companies who paid for it would, but it, it always, uh, there's always that point where people will just take advantage of it or mm -hmm. they'll just go and make a movie or a book based off of this and be like, whatever, I saw it on the internet. There's no, I didn't see any copyright. People would just kind of take it. So yeah. the fact that these are two writers now that have been able to hold on to their thing, even though they were bold and they had the guts to like put it out in an unconventional way, mm -hmm. they're being rewarded for that as opposed to it just being taken off their hands. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so if you're keeping track at home, that's Diane A. House and smile so that's your homework so <laughs> and far. ben drowns oh and Can't ben drowns yeah. enough yeah. like yeah. check out ben drowns that yeah. dude put a lot awesome. of work into oh, it. oh yeah yeah so another one uh that i wanted to bring up because I, I think it's probably one of the earliest big examples of this that i know i read oh, maybe like 10 years ago or something it's it's the been a Bible. while um is one and it's it starts out as the most uh the, innocuous thing. Yeah, it's, Genesis. I remember that part of the Bible. <laughs> it's, Got it's, a little dicey during Leviticus. <laughs> in the beginning. Um, but uh, it's called Ted the Caver. Well, that's the name of sort of the creepypasta, but the actual page that it originated from was just called Ted's Caving Page. And you start to read it, and it's the most... I mean, it's not boring. It's interesting if you're into spelunking. <laughs> so if you like cave diving. But if not, it's just kind of a guy's log about going cave diving with his friend. I genuinely think that my interest in spelunking and trying to find spooky stuff in the woods oh. stemmed from that story. Me too. I, when, like, when we went uh, by your house to do that, that's all I could think about leading yeah. up to it was that story. Because, number one, you are they, they are playing off of something that's already pretty terrifying. There are There's a, a huge number of people that are terrified of tight spaces, terrified of being in the dark. And you've, you're already combining both of those. So even in the beginning, they don't have to beat you over the head with supernatural things. It's just kind of the nervousness that you get from being in a tight space in a cave with yeah. very little light, not knowing what's around the bend, around the corner. But what's interesting is, so the, the first post was in 2001. So this is very early for creepypasta. Yeah. I don't even know if the word, I don't know when the words started uh, yeah, being a I thing. Think it that, might be before That it. predates creepypasta. I, I think so too. And it was on an angel fire. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that, that should give that away. Where you can find our page. <laughs> <laughs> AOE pod slash angel fire. But it, it's basically the story of uh, this guy's head is writing about him and his friend who he refers to just as B. Um, I think it's Brian or something, but he just calls him B in the story. Uh, they go cave diving a lot. He's kind of talking about the tools that they make for their expeditions and things like that. Yeah, I remember you sending this to me one night and not really saying anything about it. You just send me this link and just say, read this. And when Nick says, like, it starts out just about spelunking, it's a good it while. Really right? yeah. So I'm reading this. I'm like, all right, this is cool. I don't know why I think yeah, wanted me like, to read this. If you want to know about the finer points of blaying, then, yeah. like, yeah, you're going to find them in that story. It is really. And there is some precedent for that in certain parts of li literature. Like, the first time I read it was shortly after I had read the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym by Edgar Allan Poe, which is his only novel or novella, really. But is that the one with the raven? Yeah, that's the one. There's two ravens. Actually. He only he only wrote one story about that about that bird, right? Yeah, that one. And but in that story, uh, there's an, the the narrator is logging an expedition to Antarctica. It gets very kind of Lovecraftian of sorts. Very sort of 
he you're he's on the pole and the Aurora Australis and he's on he's on yeah, that pole. He's on that pole. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, it's a living. Making them die. <laughs> if you a father and you have a daughter, you only got one job, keeping her off the pole. <laughs> uh, none of us you saw Did you see the the, the the crossroads that I was facing, deciding whether or not to make like a pole dancing joke. <laughs> as soon as you said pole, <laughs> it won. Like it did. It won. It won out. Yeah. You you, you your your worst angels won that one. Is it worth derailing? Yeah, it's worth derailing. Yeah, it's Rick. worth derailing. But to get way back on the rails. <laughs> Basically, my point about that is that's an older story where it's written as a, a captain's log, and a lot of it is boring as hell because he's. It's if you want to know a lot about like the flora and fauna of random islands in the southern hemisphere, Ooh, a lot of fauna. that story has that. This does the same thing. You're lulled into this false sense of comfort where oh, I can read this at one in the morning with all the lights off. It's just about cave diving. <laughs> But what basically happens is in the cave, they find a hole that has a, a slight breeze coming through it. There's no light, but clearly there's another chamber on the other side of the wall. From there, things start to unravel because they get it in their head. There's a whole new cave in there. We can discover it. It'll be our cave. So they start to chip away at it. I mean, it takes weeks where they're just yeah. making the hole bigger. Because, I mean, it's, it's solid rock. So they have to funnel their way through this like tight space. They finally get it open enough that I think they named it Floyd's Tomb. They get it open enough where they can shimmy through. And honestly, the one of the scariest things about reading the yeah. whole thing is just his description of getting his body like through this tight hole with zero light, zero. Uh, uh, no, okay, good. <laughs> oh god, that was a struggle. All right, go on. <laughs> struggling like shimming down a hole so i don't see the humor in that. <laughs> so so the two guys they, they make their way into the other chamber and i won't give away what happens eventually but it's basically a whole bunch of spooky stuff it involves uh ancient looking cave paintings it involves potentially a creature there are sounds of screams scratching sounds at one point they bring another friend joe and joe comes out of the other side with scratches on him and he won't talk about what happened. It's it's all the perfect sort of horror things. But what I think, what I love the most about the Ted the Caver mythos, I have, and it's also a frustrating thing about what we do because we like to research, we like to read about things. You're not gonna find an answer to this one. We can't track it down to a, to a single author. Uh, people have said that it was adapted from a story by a guy named Thomas Lyra called The Fear of Darkness, but it's only in a PDF online. You're not gonna find a hard copy of it. You're not gonna find like an ISBN number. So it's basically a he said, she said of some people being like, no, Fear of Darkness was first. No, Ted the Caver was first. But both seem to be, I mean, they could be part of the same story for all we know. And, oh, yeah. and even if you go on Wikipedia, which is of course never a, a Bible of truth when it comes to references, Thomas Lyra has a bunch of links about how he's a doctor and he collects stamps and it's all there's this thing about him but a lot of those pages are dead links or they look like they could easily be faked so there's really nothing about I mean it's a pure creepypasta it just belongs to the internet and we can't we'll probably never track down exactly what started this and whose idea it was yeah that story was oh my god it's so good I mean like I'm just thinking now I'm going to spend the next like two days just rereading all this crap because yeah. it's been a while and it's oh my god it's so interesting. What I love about these stories is that and now in 2017 it's just there's a ton of creepypasta out there just massive because it's become it, it's become an institution you know um, but the good ones the ones that are remembered are things like. Um, Ted's Cave Story and Ben Drowns because they're incredibly original and uh, just so compelling and you're not going to find stories like that anywhere else because most creepypastas, it's not going to just be like a, a, a straight up ghost story. You know, there's not just a monster. There's no werewolves or right. Draculas. And then the face of my dead wife showed up in the mirror. It's not like, <laughs> it's not tropey usually. Right, yeah. exactly. It's stuff that really just gets your imagination going. Really just out there things. And 
going to use that as a jumping off point to talk about one of our favorite things, Dave, the SCP Foundation. I've never heard of that. Also, I just know right from the get-go, no interest. Why is he here? All right. Well, <laughs> well shit. I'm sorry, guys. I'm just going to go. All right. But, yeah, no, I love SCP. Uh, SCP is a site... I guess, I, I don't know, what would you say? Like, similar to Creepypasta? It's it's a different format, and it's written a different way, but it stands for Secure... Secure, Contain, contain protect. protect. Yeah. It's somewhere between, like, almost like a Wikipedia for Creepypastas, but has a continuity to it. Yeah, and it, it feels like, when, when you find the page, it feels like you're on a website that you're not supposed to be on. It, like, <laughs> it reads like a, a government page. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's supposed to be a large facility or a number of facilities that house supernatural uh, or otherworldly elements. And every story is set up, well, basically like a, government document there's like bullet points up front usually some information that you like kind of care about and then usually uh instances and incident reports that get really really creepy and it's uh it hits a lot of really cool points because it's like government conspiracy uh with the added imagination of supernatural horror yeah and it's very very original stories so the way it works is that it's like anybody can contribute to it anybody can submit something but there is a vetting process so all the stories have a certain level of quality to them and just some of the things on there are incredibly fascinating so what's what's the one one three seven well i was gonna say (laughs) yeah i've I've read one of these that i can remember at least because i remember you guys told me about this before but right before we started uh, right before we start recording, Dave told me about 137, and I read it, and all I could think was, this is such a great idea. Why hasn't anybody had this idea before? Yeah, it's, it's basically, to sum it up really quick, it is this creepy concrete mannequin in a room, in just a basic concrete secure room. It's a statue, so obviously it's stationary. However, there is, well, blood and shit all over the floor. At any given time, this is supposed to be like the superiors passing down instructions. At any given time, when someone has to go in the room, it has to be a minimum of three people because it is a statue. However, if you blink, if you look away for even a second, it is lightning fast, it can move, and it'll kill you. Apparently, it is... It's stationary, but when nobody's in there, they can hear it, like, moving around and everything. It's supposed to be unkillable and unbreakable. And it's just... And it's it's put forward in such, like, a a straightforward way. Like, very, like, to the point. It's and, very clinical. Because, yeah. like you said, it's a government-style document. Oh, so. yeah. Like, it, it reads of, like, how to... If you work there, how to deal with this creature. And, and when so you go compelling. when you go into like the pages for the SCP stuff, the first thing that they have is the like instructions for care. So in the case of uh, one three seven, the first thing you read is that if you go into the room, there has to be three people. You can't take your eyes off of it. And that's just like a really compelling way to open. Like, what the fuck is this? Before you know that it's like the statue. Oh and oh my god, just like the description of it, like being able to like hear it move around in its cell when nobody's oh, yeah. watching. The site itself is such a brilliant way to collect just groundbreaking ideas because you're not bogging people down in, well, we only accept narratives here. It, it's not like the editing process needs to be, oh, these are all short stories. No, you can just kind of have the idea for a monster or an entity that no one's ever thought of, frame it in a fun way that feels like it's a dossier of some kind of government type of thing. And then you just get it out there. So it's there. Like you guys said before we start recording, there's a ton of these now. Yeah. And it's because you don't there isn't a huge gateway to get in. You just need to have a really original, terrifying idea without having to put the kind of work that it takes to write an entire novel or or a screenplay or something like that. Oh, yeah. There's one because like these storage stories range from really dark to funny like some of the stuff on scp is really funny and they Mm -hmm. point it out as funny 
I'm trying to remember. There's a few of these have been adapted into a video game and talking about houses that are bigger on the inside than the outside. There's a really famous SCP about a stairwell that basically goes down forever. <laughs> like they, they, it's written in such a way where it's like they've done multiple expeditions trying to get to the bottom of the stairwell. Uh, part of the mythos of SCP is that the like level five employees, like the grunts basically are convicts. Hmm. Um, and you know, they send a couple people down, everyone dies, uh, right. like after a certain level because an entity is coming after them. I think four video games have been released based around SCP. Wow. Uh, Two are really shitty, and two are really cool. Um, and the, one of the really awesome ones is you are just going down this stairwell forever, and it's like a standard apartment stairwell that just goes down in like right. that Z shape. At a certain point, you're going to go down enough stairs. It could happen on the first one, could happen on the 200th one. You're going to get attacked and killed by that entity. Oh and God. so you're just waiting. Yeah, like <laughs> it is. You will get so sweaty and tense, especially if you're like, one of those people that manages to go down like 500 flights of oh, steps. Oh, I went down, I think, happens. 160 steps, oh. like before it got me. And right. I was wearing like headphones on right. my computer, and and at that point, uh, it doesn't matter what the entity is. Like it, it could, it could oh, be a bunny rabbit that you, just like pokes you in the leg. You see it when right. you start to go down the stairs. You see a face, mm -hmm. which is how it's described on the SCP site. Right. If you turn around and try to go back up, you see it at the top of the stairs too. Yeah. So you're at that point. It's like you're you're dead. Right. You just have to choose what direction you're going to go in to die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really really cool, and it connects to what we talked about last week about video games. Clearly, these stories have a lot of traction because they can jump over from one medium to the next. At this point, you're probably wondering, even if you know very little about Creepypasta, why we haven't mentioned one particular name that seems to be in everybody's mind when it comes to this. Garfield. <laughs> I ain't Garfield. I ain't Monday. He always just gave John the business. <laughs> but Theo, who am I talking about? We're talking about the big guy, Slenderman. Ooh. It's going to be, I just want to preface this by saying it's going to be really difficult not to call him Slenderman during this entire section. <laughs> we're going to fall into doing we're that. We're going to fall into that because we basically exclusively refer to him as Slenderman. Levi Slenderman, attorney at law. I fight for the money that you deserve. <laughs> Have you been in an accident? <laughs> so now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about the real Slenderman. So... There's the main, there's a main reason why people know about this. People are parents' age, people who aren't very internet savvy, and that's because of actual tragedy that has been in the news. But before we get to that, I think we need to start with who is Slenderman and why is he basically known as the king of all creepypasta? His earliest appearance was uh, can actually be traced, which is often pretty rare with these. Yeah, but it can be traced to uh, June eighth, two thousand nine when on the site something awful where people would just kind of post things like this things to scare they had other. a lot of like photoshop contests yeah it was a lot of uh it was a prompt it was like mm -hmm. try to create a really scary uh image out of found imagery so one of those designers that that worked on one of those pieces was this guy eric knudsen but he was using the moniker of victor surge which I don't know if he was uh, aspiring to be in porn or if he was currently doing that, but that was the name that he used. And he posted a couple of photos, but one in particular that sort of sparked everything is all of these kind of kids in sort of a, they look kind of panicked or they're walking away from something. And in the background, you can kind of see uh, Slenderman as basically just a form. This is... It's really smart the way that he did this first one because you can't really see a suit, what he's seen as now. You can just see some kind of figure that could be an alien or something else. And it really didn't take long for that to pick up and people to start uh, turning him into other things. In fact, the way that probably all of us got into it was through Marble Hornets. Yeah. Right. That was this internet series 
um, and the the idea behind it was it was a guy who was in film school and he was shooting a like his senior thesis. And as he's filming it in the background, that just this man keeps showing up. And if you don't know like what Slender Man is or what he looks like, I'm sure you do because fucking everybody does now. But it's this long, incredibly skinny man, probably around like eight feet tall, yeah. um, wearing a black suit and has no discernible facial features, just completely black. Blank, sorry. Yeah, blank. blank. And um, a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> Dangerous that's territory there. <laughs> and that's it. He just he he does nothing else. He just goes into white neighborhoods and he just freaks everybody out. And everybody Tune hates in. it. Tune in next week for when it's just me and Nick. <laughs> Shit. We've read your emails and we are also very disappointed. He will not be back on the show. I'm sorry I did a racism. <laughs> but no, his face is completely blank and he wears a black suit. And that was like the original incarnation. And one of the things that get it, got added on was tentacles. It becomes so popular. Yeah. It, it literally, it like it wouldn't be weird to see like a Slender Man shirt and a Hot Topic. Yeah, like, oh, ab- absolutely. It's, I know that around smart, Halloween, yeah. you can go into a Halloween store and they have like it's like the Green Man suit. Yeah, they have those for Slender Man now. Yeah, yeah. So it was. It's really. It's my. It seems kind of lame because it's the biggest one. It's still probably my favorite example of creepypasta because there's nothing to it it really is just a design that creates so much dread that people just think of it whatever they will right it's he's like he he's the blank uh face is an example of what he is he's a blank slate for your terror are you afraid of child abduction that's what he does are you afraid of getting murdered in the woods that's what he does. It's yeah, whatever it's, people he's, feel he's like. an internet era boogeyman. Absolutely. And yeah. the fact that he can be traced back to a, a specific time and place where he was created doesn't make it any less disturbing. Right. You know, it's like before it became really overblown. I'm not going to lie. I was pretty fucking terrified of Slender Man. I mean, like, especially like watching like the Marble Hornet stuff. I remember when I was first watching those. I would take my dog out for a walk. This was when Bubba was still around. And I would, oh, we had this like set path that we would walk by. And we, I always walk by this high school. And there's this spot where there's like hedges that are like really overgrown. And I remember after watching Har- Marble Hornets, I would always avoid that spot because like, all right, I realize Slender Man isn't real and that I'm a man. But I know if I walk past there, <laughs> he's going to be there and he's going to fucking kill me. Oh, yeah. They, <laughs> I don't spook easily. One time we were at, I think, our friend Carl's house, mm-hmm. and his back woods, his back lawn is very creepy. Ed said, this looks like Slenderman territory. Our friend Phil, who often at that time was wearing a suit, chose that <laughs> moment that to time. walk around the corner, and I like almost shit my pants just for like a split <laughs> yeah. second and phil's a thin guy he's about 5'11 so he's a little short for slender man but i i could see yeah it. i just yeah. saw the suit yeah. come around the he's corner pale. and was like it's happening yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's really he's just an archetype which makes him so successful as a boogeyman because even though he was created in the late 2000s he could be from 16th century Europe. He's just a tall guy with a blank face. He yeah. could be at any time. And and a lot of people have claimed that. Part of the legend that people have built onto, not the original creator, is that he's been around forever. Or maybe he's an alien or, or all of these different what, – whatever they oh, think yeah. works at the, at it, the moment. It was weaved into his universe that yeah. there were like uh, wood carvings of him found. Yeah, oh. like there's one famous one of uh, – they took an actual wood carving that's already terrifying because it's a picture of a skeleton <laughs> taking it's a, a wood carving. <laughs> it's a wood carving. <laughs> so you know it was created by someone who later died of the plague. <laughs> but it was uh, is a skeleton uh, pulling a child away from from a mother which was pretty normal fare <laughs> during the middle ages because they didn't have much else to think yeah, about they had but so many skeletons <laughs> walking around. <laughs> <laughs> but what this person did was they photoshopped out the actual skeleton and they and they drew in a much more elongated skeleton whose face is actually out he's so tall that his face is like being uh hidden by the ceiling of this house so you can imagine oh that's like the first sighting in in art of of slender man and that was like those things are still popping up constantly yeah so it's 
Slenderman being popular with kids and on the internet, that makes complete sense because it's just such a perfectly crafted monster. Now we're going to get into why your parents and different adults might know about Slenderman. Yeah, so unfortunately, and it's I will I will preface this with we talk a lot of tragic a lot about a lot of tragic like horrific stuff on this podcast, but with a sense of glee because it happened a long time ago. Yeah. This one's tough because only a couple a few years ago, I think it was 2014, yeah, right? Yeah, 2014. Two girls in Milwaukee suburbs in Wisconsin actually stabbed their friend, thankfully not to death, but nearly, but stabbed their friend. It was these girls, Morgan and Anissa, and they stabbed their friend, Bella, and they, after being taken in for questioning, they claimed that they did it for Slenderman, specifically to appease him and keep him from coming after their families. So they were 12, I think, uh, a couple of 12-year-old girls. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a really good documentary about it. I think you can watch it on on Netflix, and we can link to that. There's clearly <laughs> mental issues going on, and also just how impressionable kids are anyway. But what's terrifying about it is, it's maybe they would have done that for some other reason. But I think that the legend of Slenderman is so palpable and so believable. You can tell for whichever way you want to think about their frame of mind. They genuinely believed that Slenderman was a threat and that this would and that their friend, someone they hung out with, hurting that person and killing that person would make him leave them alone. I know at least one of the girls was after the stabbing was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Yeah. Um, And I think uh, Anissa was the. Okay. What gets me is that Slenderman is very unique and very scary, but it's not the first pop culture monster you know, to to spring up. You know, nobody was stabbing people to appease Freddy Krueger. Right. Or right. or Frankenstein. Yeah. And I and I think the fact that there isn't a Slenderman movie and that's the first time we saw him, mm-hmm. that has probably a, a lot to do with why they believed in it. Because they their parents literally can't say to them, Look, here's the D V D case. It's just yeah. it's just a movie. It's not real. Yeah, here's the creator. It a direct link between this and the blue whale game that we spoke about last week can be made. People, uh, kids of the same age, like very impressionable, um, are in a world where a lot of untailored information is coming to them. Cause I know for a fact, you know, we all found Slender Man in our twenties not like Jesus, like we were all introduced to the notion of Slenderman <laughs> in our 20s. Oh, no, don't, you don't have to worry about me. I'm not Slenderman. Um, I'm clean. Like, we, we were like, this is a really great story. However, we knew right away that it was it was fake. I mean, for fuck's sake, Roger Ebert, like, gave it a review, like, yeah. on his website. Yeah. Um, however, if we found this when we were 12... It would have terrified the shit out of us. Totally different. And it probably oh, would yeah. have taken a while to have us convinced that it was completely fake. Yeah. You don't have that level of critical thinking at that age. Especially when not just one person, the creator, but thousands, potentially millions of people are, in a sense, in on the joke or in on the story. Because if these girls went on to different forums or, or the comment sections for videos... It's full of people playing along. You yeah. know, it, there's a lot of comments that sound like people are into it. Most of them are probably just people that love the idea of it. So they say, oh, I saw him when I was 10. Here's a photo that I took. And they create something. So everybody is in on the joke, but it's kind of hard to do that when you're a child. And in school, you're learning that the way that you learn about things these days isn't from a library, it's from the internet. Yeah. So why would you think that everyone else, I mean, you see thousands of accounts of Slenderman, why wouldn't you believe that there's some credibility to it? The other thing that's real interesting about this, we know for a fact that creepypasta, although entertaining as hell, is bullshit. It's it's fake. Mm. However, given enough time... Will these become the mythos, the myths that future generations, and I'm talking a few cultures removed here, right. 
look at as folklore and people question whether or not it was true. Right. Uh, or whether or not we all believed it. Well, Even exactly. If they don't. Yeah. Exactly. You're, like I think the, you're absolutely right. Like one day Slenderman could be viewed as like our Baba Yaga. Yeah, exactly. he could be one of Precisely. our one of our pantheon of gods or, or deities that we feared. And we now have newspaper clippings of at least two young girls who yeah. believed him to be a real entity and, and needing of Human sacrifice. Going back, mean, going back a couple episodes, Slenderman could be uh, one of Gaga's kids. <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> yeah, it's like they all were terrified of Slenderman, and Lady Gaga oh, was Slenderman's God. mother. <laughs> I really want to see the the stone carvings that someone finds of Lady Gaga <laughs> with like Slenderman in her left hand. I think <laughs> you'd, it would be a bummer to jump into the future and see because it would just be an apocalyptic way. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they, or they'll just look at our culture and just realize the monsters were us. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, this is the one that people know about, and I think it has proven to the world that even though it has a goofy name, Creepypasta, it's something to be taken seriously as a method of storytelling because stories have always been the most powerful thing we have. Stories have started wars. Stories have ended wars. Stories have uh, brought rise and fall to entire cultures. And it takes something like this for for ABC and Fox News and every possible outlet to to all of a sudden be talking about Slenderman. And I know that was a surreal moment. The first time I saw an actual news, like a primetime news anger talking about Slenderman. This past semester, I took an adolescent development class and we spoke about Slenderman in class one day. And that was that was weird. which is nuts because like at that point when that story happened, I can probably speak for all of us. Slenderman was like old news by then. Yeah, right. He, it yeah. wasn't it even was, a, it was a resurfacing. Well, uh, it was like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. What happened? Oh, two girls tried to kill somebody. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing the power of these things, and hopefully there's a lesson in about how we wield it. But then again. It's not number one. You couldn't put restrictions on it, but also why would you want to? Because the what the things that make the other ones we talked about tonight great are the fact that there are no rules, right? And that you can tell the story oh, yeah. however you like. You can't monetize it yet. Yeah, like, exactly. I mean, that's think it's about, the wild west of storytelling. Yeah, and think about how anything becomes cool. Punk was cool when it came out because nobody was making any money, and it's that's literally how things get popular. And eventually, they get dumbed down once studios and people like that get their hands on them. I think we're getting into that. As we've talked about, there have been some commercialization of these things, but it's still pretty wild and open to whoever right now. So it's it's going to be insane to watch, and hopefully we won't anytime see anytime soon see the first actual fatality from a creepypasta. But no. we've come we've come very very close. Yeah, I mean it's fascinating enough in just the idea of a fictional character having such a real impact. Yeah. on the real world all right yeah yeah all right so let's let's review <laughs> listeners here's your homework we got we started with ben drowns yep and then from there we diana house the diana house uh then we did smile smile ted's cave story yep uh the scp foundation garfield garfield at large yep. by jim davis um, and we brought it home with Slenderman. Brought it home with Slenderman, yeah. yeah. The one that maybe you knew about, maybe you didn't, but I think hopefully this puts some context around what Slenderman is. People who still don't really get it and think it's just some weird one-off phenomenon, this is a culture that is building and brewing right beneath your feet, and it's going to keep growing. And this is great because this is how creepypastas grow. They're from the internet. Now... You could be hearing it from us on an internet radio station. <laughs> this is literally how they travel. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. This uh, is how they're they're viral and infectious yeah. and we're uh we're putting our, our tentacles into your ears. <laughs> Unprotected. <giving> you- <laughs> if we were wearing protection, it wouldn't be an issue. But we're completely We're doing raw. it raw. If you're looking for somewhere to start like with the Slenderman mythos, um Marble Hornets on YouTube, it's kinda hokey and low budget, but it's it can be pretty cool. Yeah. And the documentary that came out about the the stabbings is called Beware of the Slenderman. That's on and, HBO. Yeah. And that is legitimately disturbing like yeah. that's and that's it's really a, well done mm-hmm. 
because it's the first time a legitimate, credible source of filmmakers who are doing research have gotten their hands on it. Up until then, it's been a lot of amateur stuff. Yeah. And it's moving into a different space. So. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. Thanks for listening. I hope you had as much fun listening to this one as we had making it. Uh, Theo, where can people find us? You can find us on Facebook at Age of Enfrightenment. Uh, we are on iTunes. And our website is aoepod.com. And we are on Twitter at aoe underscore pod.com. Or is it AOE underscore Under, podcast? Underscore pod. Under, you, yeah, AOE underscore podcast. Did yeah. you mention the email address? <laughs> oh, right. And we're at, what is it, AOE podcast? At, no, it's, I think it's just at, I think it's just ageofenfrightenment at gmail.com. Okay, so. You can also go on our website and we have a contact page and that's sometimes more direct because you can just fill out a form yeah. that automatically sends us your comments. And this is a great one because there are a billion creepypastas and we want to know about the ones you guys know about that we don't. Oh yeah, and let us know if you think any of them are real. We won't bully you. We literally <laughs> just want to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. We really want to talk. We're very happy to do a part two of this, and, and that would be great. There's definitely enough content, so yeah. uh, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you guys. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Have a nice night. Bye.